Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, man. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. Maybe some of the ladies remember my wife. She was here for, I think, the women's conference, the women's event, something for women a while ago. Um, yeah, we are from Bethel. Um, not originally. We've been there for about two years. Grew up in Michigan. I'm actually my brother and sister-in-law drove over up from Shreveport uh, to be here tonight. So, yeah, it's exciting to have Nate and Morgan here. Nate's active military in the Air Force. So, um, the uh, definite. He's the youngest of five. I'm the oldest of five. He's definitely the toughest of the five, though. We don't. None of us argue with that anymore. Um, the last time we both wrestled in high school, and the last time we wrestled, he d- denies this, but he was a sophomore. I was well out of high school. Freshman. He says freshman. <laughs> he was a sophomore in high school. I was well out of high school. I beat him by two points and determined that we were done wrestling, like we will never wrestle again so that I can have won the last match. So I can say he's never beat me. Um, <laughs> it feels really good to be able to say that because he's he was much better than I was, um, but he's never beat me, so... Um, it's really all that matters. But yeah, so Caitlin and I, we direct a ministry called Moral Revolution. Um, as Zach mentioned, I was actually proud of him because he said sexuality. A lot of people, like when they introduce us, they get really uncomfortable even introducing us. Uh, we travel the world having sex and then talking about it to churches. And <clears throat> I'm not joking, we do. We love having sex all over the world and then talking about it. And making Christians feel uncomfortable enough to get out of their norms, so they'll actually talk about it too. Uh, So that's kind of what we've dedicated our life to right now, is healthy conversations about how we reconcile God's design for sexuality with the skewed, manipulated version that's that's really kind of being broadcasted out, out in public. As well as then in the church, how do we get the church kind of out of our religious way that says, hey, shh, don't talk about this? Um, How do we train our parents to have really healthy conversations with their kids so they don't have to go to parent Google, mom Google, or dad Google to figure out what sex is and what it's about? And so um, you can check out a ton of information about that on Moral Revolution. We have a lot of free blogs and podcasts, some things, some books and e-courses. We're we're actually not going to talk about sex tonight. I can't wait to do a message that's not about sex, actually. It doesn't happen very often. We just got back from South Africa, and we preached about sex 15 times in three days. Yeah. You believe we can have that many things to say about sex? It's pretty in- intense. Um, but so it's, it's really nice sometimes to just be able to come and just talk about the heart of God, which I'm really excited to do tonight. Um, looking forward to this weekend with the men. And so tonight I want to share this title and then um, want to, you know, if you want to get prepared, First Samuel chapter 14. Uh, and I want to jump into this, but actually not by necessarily preaching, but I want to kind of move into a little bit of prophetic ministry, if that's okay for a minute. Um, maybe I'll make you feel uncomfortable there too. I love making people feel uncomfortable all the way around, so one way or another tonight. Uh, but the title tonight is Faith for the Forgotten. Faith for the Forgotten. Lord, we just ask um, that you would make us aware of your presence that's already in the room. Um, we know you're here. Uh, we know that you're, that you're in us, that you, that you fill us, that, that greater are you who is in us than he who is in the world. Um, so we're not going to redundantly ask you to do something you've already done. You're here. 
So calm our minds and our thoughts and our distractions and all of the things we think we have to do or accomplish or um, the temptation to respond to a work email that we sent at the end of the day, whatever these things are that are really dist- that, that have the ability to tempt us right now, and just pray that you would give us some interu- uninterrupted time with your spirit right now, um, that we could shut down everything that pulls us away. Um, yeah, just make us aware of what you want to do individually, um, and then also what you want to do collectively for this, this beautiful church and congregation. Jesus' name, amen. So it's been awesome. I've, I've been in contact with Austin quite a bit. I've had some issues with our flights. Our flight got canceled, so we ended up like taking the red eye last night to get in, and then our flight was delayed. Apparently, United did not want us to come to Oklahoma. Um, I would like to congratulate you guys, too, by the way. You guys have the last two Heisman winners. That is exciting. Um, we're both huge Michigan Wolverine fans, which has been a labor of love for the last decade and a half. Um, I, will, I would like to point out with your Heisman winners, you do steal them from other places. So I just want to put that out there. Um, I don't know that you really get to claim them. And if you win it a third year in a row, then, I, then, then it really is poaching, okay? Because Jalen Hurts is not yours, just for the record. So, um, but we're just hoping that we can get away with only losing like two or three times this year. That's kind of the Michigan goal every year now. Um, no, I, I'm kidding, but we are huge Michigan football fans. I'm actually going to the Notre Dame game on Saturday um, up in South Bend, taking a couple internationals who've never been to college football. So it's going to be exciting. They're like rugby and cricket. Like, what is cricket? Nobody actually knows. Um, that's like the, the sports that they like. So looking forward to that. Um, but actually, I, during worship, I felt like the Lord laid some names on me, and we're going to figure out if I was hearing my own thoughts or hearing the Lord's thoughts. So um, I'm just going to kind of jump out and take a risk. And this is actually kind of plays into what I want to talk about tonight is just being willing to take really big steps of faith and risks. And so I want to just kind of list off everything that um, I felt the Lord putting on my heart. And if any of these names or this car type happens to feel applicable to you, I want to just have you stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you or shame you or anything like that. Um, if anything, I may embarrass myself if I'm totally off and none of these names mean anything to anybody. So uh, trust me, I'm, I'm in a much worse place than you are sitting in the audience. Um, but I have Chris and Krista. I have Toyota Tacoma, which I know I'm in Texas. A Tacoma is not a big risk. You all have trucks. But um, Toyota, I, I will say I saw a lot of Chevys and Fords out there on the way here. Um, and then Susie and Sam. So if any of what I just said means anything to you, will you stand up? Please stand up if, it, if it's applicable. Awesome. If it's not applicable, don't force it. But I want you to stand if it means anything. Okay, so we're going to start down here. No, why did you sit down, youth? Stand up, youth. There was youth over there standing. Get up, child. Now you're first. Now you're first. Okay, which, what, what, what applied to you? Who? Chris, Krista, why'd you stand up? Did someone make you stand up? Tacoma, you have a Toyota Tacoma? You have a Dodge. You, you're welcome to sit down. Um, Toyota Tacoma, I have a Dodge. That makes total sense. Uh, go ahead, sir. Huh? Sorry? Sam, are you Sam? Do you know a Susie? So there's a Susie that's different. Okay, I'm going to come back to you because I think there may be something for you. And then let's go here. Chris. Chris. Your name's Chris? 
Awesome. Do you know, oh, it says Chris on your shirt, too. Oh, Chris Kyle. That man is amazing. Um, or Krista mean anything? Krista? No, maybe something different. Okay, I'm going to come back. And Tacoma. You have one? What year is it? Nice. And in the back. You, are you Krista? Your sister is. Younger or older sister? Older sister. Okay. Does she live in Oklahoma? Okay. Um, I'm going to start back over here. This is Sam, yes? Okay. Um, all right, Lord, what do you have to say right now? So anybody that has a Susie, is there a Susie does Susie mean anything to anybody too? Because right now we've got one, two, three, four of the five. Is Susie applicable? Oh, balcony too. The lights have blinded me. What, who are, what name? Tacoma too. You guys have a Dakota? A Tacoma? Tacoma. Toyota Tacoma, great. Um, all right, give me a second. Let me just hear what the Lord wants to say here for a moment. Hmm. Sam, do you guys have kids? How many kids do you guys have? Eight? Eight? <laughs> Holy smokes! I thought you said everybody didn't have a ton of kids around here. Like, we get in the car, and Zach's got five, and Austin's got four, and like, we promise everybody doesn't have a whole bunch of kids here. I do not believe you right now. Um, okay, how old is your oldest one? 21. Um, okay, I feel like there's something for your oldest one, and um, I actually feel like your oldest child is a very, very strong leader, and actually has their stuff together. Is it a boy or a girl? boy. And he's actually quite a bit more mature than most boys his age at 21. Um, really knows what he wants to do, knows what he's going after, knows what God's called him to do. Is any of that right on so far? Um, which is actually really, really different for kids his age. Um, and, I, and I feel like there's actually, like anybody that knows him has seen that in him, that he has a completely different sense of awareness of how to be responsible. He's got a different level of responsibility, a different level of accountability. Um, there's a, there's a diff different level of commitment to his future than most people have. Um, and I actually, I, I really see him being very successful in corporate America, like business. Like he, is that his goal and his desire is to get into to business? Um, and, and like leading a lot, like, like thousands of people that he's going to lead and he's going to run really successful businesses that have really significant impact and that there's this also this heart in him that wants to use those things to really impact those who have need and those who are broken and that he's going, God's going to just pour favor on him because of how willing he's, he is to give that favor back and to pour that stuff back into the kingdom of God. Um, I mean, tell me if any of the, you're nodding yes, but don't give me the church yes. Give me the yes, the real God, yes or no. Yeah, so he, he feels called to this. What, is he going to college or what's he doing right now? Working where? where what's he doing? What's his job? Warehouse, awesome. So I think that there's probably something there too where he's got these dreams inside of him and actually... This, the, the title for tonight might be for him, Faith for the Forgotten, and just allowing him to remember to have faith for things that he dreamt when he was a little kid that he completely lost sight of. 
Like there may be some dreams in him that he's kind of thought maybe weren't possible or it wasn't gonna happen. And I feel like God's really wanting to tell him, no, this is gonna take place. You have to have faith for this. And God has actually called him to everything that he has felt in his heart and to not lose heart or to lose faith because of something that he doesn't maybe see right now. Um, and then also, I feel like with the two of you guys in particular, um, Obviously, with eight kids, I don't know that this is prophetic other than just being aware because I have four kids, but the challenges and the trials of going through that, but I feel specifically the Lord looking at you and wants you to know that he sees you as really, really good parents, and even more than that, there's this sense of, yeah, it's not even just like this good parent thing, but he actually, I, I really feel this, and I actually think what I'm about to tell you, you've heard him say before, but you maybe weren't sure if it was him or it felt prideful to actually hear, but I feel like he tells you and you know that you represent him really, really well as mom and dad. Like, it's not just a matter of good parent comparatively in culture, but you actually represent him really well. Like, people can look at you and say, this is what mom and dad are supposed to be like. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what togetherness is supposed to be. This is what two becoming one is supposed to be. And that there's a, a really beautiful demonstration of the way you guys walk it out that gives a really clear picture of him. Um, and so I just would encourage you guys in that, like, accept that. Don't, like, write that off as pride or something that you're not allowed to actually believe about yourself because I really feel like the Lord is wanting you to know that. And, and, and believe that about you guys. So, okay, we're gonna go over here to Chris. Um, all right, Lord. The first word that came to my mind right now is justice. Um, this discontent when there's lack of justice this holy anger when things aren't as they should be, when, when somebody has been wronged that wasn't supposed to be wronged, or somebody that has been hurt that wasn't supposed to be hurt, and there's this thing inside of you that's even more so than others that you like, sometimes it can even carry someone else's offense, and, and, and not in a bad way, but in a good way, where there's this holy anger when something very negative happens to somebody else and there, there's this thing in you that wants to, that has this drive to make it right or to step in almost on their behalf where maybe there's even been times where you've kind of put yourself there and maybe taken some shrapnel yourself for some, the defense of somebody else. And I want you to be honest with me if this is way off. Is any of this way off or is, is, can you think of moments that, would, that this would be accurate? Yeah. yeah. Say that again care about people, yeah, and I, and I see that actually even in the sense of like there's a tenderness in you that almost feels like you're not allowed to have as a man that you've allowed yourself to feel and that you do feel and that you have and there's this really deep sensitive side that has this compassion and, and the, the thing that the Lord actually just keeps saying right now is this likening to when Jesus wept with compassion where there's this thing inside of you that has this brokenness for humanity um, that almost feels out of place sometimes, where you feel like it's out of place or you don't know where it fits or there, there's even a, level, a depth of it where you don't always know wh who to talk to about it because you have it on a level where it, it really kind of speaks to you and, and it guides you, and, so to speak. And I really think that there's something that the Lord is, is really wanting to speak to you in that moment where it says that he had compassion on the crowds because they were helpless and without a shepherd. I think there's an anointing on that for you. For people that don't have a shepherd, that don't have a father, that don't have direction, that don't have the covering that you can actually provide, um, and to just kind of step into some of that. 
because I think there's something there that is, is pretty deep for you. Um, and there's some things that you're actually going to be able to unlock ministry-wise where you're going to have an impact on people that no one else will have because of the willingness as a man to demonstrate vulnerability and tenderness that they don't see in other, in other men traditionally. Um, so just pray into that and see where that's at. I actually, I'm going to skip to Comey. You can sit down. I'm going to go back. It's Krista, right? Yes, Krista. Um, and I'm assuming boyfriend, husband, just friend you come to church with? Boyfriend. How long have you guys been dating? Over a year. Awesome. And what's your name? Blake. Awesome. Um, all right, give me a second. I see you, Krista, as this, um, like having this feeling inside of you of Man, I'm just going to go for this one. This one it feels like maybe a little bit of a stretch. Um, man, I feel like, were you at the women's event my wife was at? Did you go to that or no? I was part of it. Part of it. I just feel like there's an anointing on you like my wife has. Like maybe something to write. Like do you feel called to write or to preach or to, to do any type of ministry? Have you ever felt called to that? Yeah, which, which one of those things? Women and their identity. Do you know anything about my wife? She just wrote a book on identity for women <laughs> called Look at You, Girl. Um, and I just, man, okay, that feels so much better that this is not wrong. Um, I just feel like there's a, a really big call for ministry on you and that there's going to be a lot of people that are deeply impacted by what you do. And I really feel like the Lord is saying to be strong and courageous. Um, one of the struggles for my wife for years is she didn't get to look around and see women preaching, teaching, and writing. And so she wasn't sure where she fit. I mean, I don't know, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case for you, but just pulling from her story, because I felt like the Lord kind of compared the two of you in, in that moment, of you really stepping, by the way, she looks nothing like you, she has brunette hair, so it's not like just a look similar thing, um, but that you need to really, really walk in boldness, and there's actually going to be a point where God tells you to do something you feel really unqualified to do. And I don't know if you're at that crossroad right now or if, you're, if that's going to be coming in the future, but you have got to say yes. It's actually going to unlock a lot of destiny in your life, and it's actually going to in turn unlock a lot of destiny in other people's life, um, and you really can't say no. I mean, almost like a burning bush moment with Moses um, that you've even kind of argued and, and different reasons and justified and, and come, come away with different reasons to maybe not you or maybe not this, or there's going to be that, that tension with the Lord. And I feel like the Lord is wanting you to say, no, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to tell you what to do. He has called you to what you feel he's called you to do. Um, and in and, and the identity thing, th this is such a big need in our generation. And it is crazy because that is literally my wife's lifelong calling and commitment to restore women's identity to what God sees in them. And so um, 
really want to just, I'm just actually going to pray for you, Krista, God. We just, and if, if everyone would just reach your hands out to her. Uh, we just ask for an, that this anointing on her, Lord. Overwhelm her with a holy boldness and courage to step into this destiny, to walk out this calling of identity for women, of restoring their identity to what you have called them to do, who you have called them to be, what you have called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would give ideas of how to make it happen. I pray that there would be books, there would be e-courses, there would be sermons, there would be ministries, there would be things that would begin to be birthed in her that she literally cannot do anything else until she accomplishes these things, until she walks down this road. Uh, I, we come against all insecurity in Jesus' name. Anything that the enemy would try to use to kill, steal, or destroy this destiny, every lie be exposed in Jesus' name. Show her how to reject every lie of the enemy that would prevent this destiny from being fulfilled in her. Remove it by the authority of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Man, and I even see your, your kids that you obviously... Yeah, there, there's just this even... Like it, it, it can be very hard for an anointing to pass from generation to generation, the kids to pick up where the parents left off. But I actually feel like there's going to be this really cool transfer of calling and anointing to your children that you're going to have. She's a teacher too. That's awesome. Um, so you're like given identity all day. And, and I actually really think, like, like for some reason when I'm praying, I'm just seeing this transfer of this this thing for children and for, and I actually think, I think it, it is good to know you're a teacher, but I actually really am pretty certain it's for your kids, like your children, um, that you're going to have, and obviously this one, there's no way to know this prophetic word for years from now, um, until years from now, but just, I, I would, I, I think more than anything, the Lord wants you to know it, to pray into it, and to be aware of it, like, Lord, how do I make sure to be aware of how I pass this on to them, and I give this anointing and this identity to them, Cool. Awesome. Um, all right, we have both are Toyota Tacoma, yes? All right, I'm going to figure this one out. I have had nothing yet for the Toyota Tacoma. Maybe it's just because I test drove a truck last week and I really want a truck right now. So we'll find out if this one was the Lord or my earthly desires to have a truck that I don't actually need in California, I just want. Hmm. Actually, um, you two can sit because I actually think this one is for the men in the church. Um, collectively, and I, there's this really powerful sense of a uniqueness of the men in this church as opposed to most other churches. Um, there's a there's a strength in the men that lead here where, that's not normal in other churches and other environments. Um, that, that fathers are fathers here, husbands are husbands, that leaders are leaders here. And I think that there's probably a, a, a special highlight on the two of you because it came through that Toyota. But even, even picturing like this analogy, and not to be cliche in Texas, um, but the, the, this picture of the strength of a truck, of really leading and pulling the weight spiritually around here. Where a lot of places the weight is pulled spiritually by the women, and that is like across the board. And not that the women aren't powerful here, there, there's a sense of that as well. But there, it isn't like the women pulling dwarf men in this church. 
like there's this sense of equally powerful males and females and that the men, actually I think just an encouragement of the men here, like man, God is looking at you and saying thank you that in my generation I have people I can trust with my image. Thank you that in my, this generation I have men that I can trust with the name Father because that name isn't, hasn't been able to be trusted everywhere. Um, and I actually see this, feel this thing with the men here that you take people under your wing that aren't even just your kids. Like there's this mentorship thing where the men here are willing to pull other people's kids under their wing, that they're mentoring, you guys are mentoring people kind of abnormally and pulling other kids in and other people that aren't necessarily your people. And that I really think that in scripture there was always this inheritance obviously that was a birthright but I actually think God's gonna give you this anointing, and I, this is still specifically for the men. Um, you're actually gonna have this anointing to be able to give your inheritance to figuratively adopted kids. Um, that you're actually gonna be able to the things that you have fought for, the things that you have broken, and the, the generational curses you've broken in your own home, or the, the, the legacy you've been able to continue on in your own home, you're actually gonna be able to give that to kids that aren't even your birth children, but God's gonna give you this authority to give that to kids that you've brought under your wing, whether that's formally or informally. Um, I would, and, and I would pray that way. Lead that way, talk that way. Like when you're praying over these kids that you're mentoring and you're pulling in, give them what God's given you because he's actually gonna honor those prayers and he's actually gonna honor that authority to give those kids what the Lord has given you. I mean, and I actually, not even just kids, like there's actually, I think, young men that are adults that you guys pull in. Um, and, and that there's like the young men in this church are really well taken care of and have the opportunity for mentorship differently than other places do. Um, that young married men have a better place to connect than other places do. Um, and so there's even this ability to kind of pass on this, this anointing to them. Can we have all the men stand up? Let's have all the men stand and let's have, um, I'm actually not gonna pray this prayer. Can we have the women around them just pray over them? Um, just thank the Lord that they represent him well and then just begin to pray over them that they would, they would know how, that they become aware of how they can lead well and who to pull in and how to pass this anointing of fatherhood on to this next generation. So ladies, get up, get, go, go to a man that you know, that's, if it's your husband, brother, father, and just pray that over them right now. Just let's begin to pray over the men. Yeah, so Lord, we just um, call out the, the creator in these men as they were made in your image. God, that you've given them the power to create. Right now, Holy Spirit, we would just pray that you would align their hearts and their minds and their understanding with that ability to speak into existence what's not as though it was that you would give them moments where they're aware of what you're wanting to do in an individual. Moments of in being aware of what you want to do in a, in a setting, in a corporate setting, in a small group setting, that they'd be able to speak into that, that they'd be able to lead that way, and that this strength of the men would actually strengthen the voice of the women. That the, the voice of the women would continue to be strength by, strengthened by the picture of these men as they lead really well. We thank you for this church that demonstrates that so well. Um, and I just pray right now, actually, I, we, we, I speak to this as well right now. And this isn't, this isn't prophetic. This isn't awareness statistically because of what I do. Um, I don't want anybody to raise your hand. Everybody keep your eyes closed. We're not going to raise hands right now. Um, but if you know this is you in your heart, 
then this is between you and the Lord, and you're going to have to just share this with somebody close afterwards. But there's actually some, some of you that feel this drive to step further into faith. It's a lead, but your lust and your pornography issue is holding you back. Again, I'm, this isn't a prophetic word. I'm not saying this prophetically. I'm saying this statistically because I know the statistics of the room. Um, and I really, this I know that the Lord wants to break the shame of that so that you'll step into your destiny. So if that's you, the response is conversation with a trusted, spirit-filled, believing friend or leader after this night is over. We can sit down. I'm actually going to go a different way quick. We're going to pause from what I was planning on. I'm like on my third message con- concept for the night, and now we're going to pause again. Um, I want to read this to the men in Ephesians. Um, man, there is a, just a, a very unique sense of the anointing um, of fatherhood here. Really incredible. Really interesting thing in Ephesians chapter 5. This is a, a scripture you've heard probably a hundred different times. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, where it's giving instructions to wives and husbands and, it's, and, and families and telling kids, for the, for the youth, I'll just read this part to you. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. <laughs> Get ready. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. So here's the, here's the child message for the night. If you want to live long, honor your father and mother, period. Um, but specifically for the husbands, the instruction is this in verse 25 of chapter 5. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water through the word. Now here's the thing. I want to point this out, and I'm, I, I'm sorry if what I'm about to say is going to Undebunk any other theology taught. If it is, I'm sorry. I never preached to get invited back. I'm just going to tell you what my my study has done, and then I'll let your pastors fix it when I leave. Okay? Um, heck, that we're, I'm from Bethel. It's kind of what we do, anyways. Am I right? Um, but the usage of the word here is actually rhema, which means spoken word. Most of the time, when this scripture is taught, it's taught as the written word in the Bible. Now, this is, now the, the fact that it's a different usage of the, of the meaning of word doesn't take away the value of the written word of God of Scripture, but what it does do is it connects a lot of dots if we've been paying attention to this. Because you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at the way we were created, God created us what? In his image. Well, if he created us in his image, wouldn't it also go, wouldn't it also make sense that if, as I'm created in his image, he's also giving me the same authority that he has? So I think there's actually a really unique calling on males and on men that the washing of water through the word is God giving us the same creation power when we speak things into existence. Where the Lord spoke and everything was created out of the words of his mouth. As a man now, and if you're a dad, man, do you see this on the faces of your kids? Right? Like my kid, my, my, my third one, we have four. My third one, Connor, is like the perfect child. 
He has never done anything wrong. He does everything he's supposed to do. You'll be sitting there and he'll just be like, I love you, dad. You're my favorite. Actually, I just said Connor. I meant Cade. My brother's like, you're talking about the wrong kid. Cade is the perfect one. Connor is here tonight in the children's nursery. Um, And I'm not going to say he's not perfect, but... Thank you, Jesus. He's going to deliver witch doctors of demons one day. That's, what I, that's, that's, a, that's the best way to talk about Connor. And one day we're at, the, we're at the table, and Cade goes to me. He goes, Dad, you're the best dad. And Connor goes, no, you're not. And I'm like, what? And I'm like dying to know what Connor's thinking. And, and Cade's like, Dad, you're the best. And Connor's like, well, you're not the best. I'm like, what do you mean, Connor? He's like, there's a lot of dads in the world. Like, there's no way you're the best. I mean, you, you're not the worst, but you're, you're, there's no way you could be the best. Like, how could we know you're the best? Like, you're not the best. Like, this is Connor. But Cade, my older two boys are very strong, dominant personalities. Like, Connor used the F word when he found it out at kindergarten just to see what everyone would do. Like, to give you an idea of my kids, right? Ca- Caleb is the most competitive human that has ever been created in the history of humanity. Like, when Michigan loses, which has been a lot lately, he sobs for 30 minutes. Like, my, my, my wife called me tonight. They were at the grocery store. He's walking down the aisle. We're also Red Sox fans, Boston Red Sox. He sees a guy with a Yankees hat and yells across the grocery store, Boo, Yankees suck! And, like, this is just him. It's what he does everywhere he goes. Like, strong personality. And then you have Cade, who's a lot more quiet and shy and a little bit reserved. And Kate, Connor and Kate, you know how it is with boys, like, psh, you don't even know, know one plus one, Cage, you're so dumb. Like, all this stuff that goes on in their boy, their boy households. Just for the record, if any parents try to act like it's perfect in their home, they're lying to you, it's not. So just be comfortable with whatever chaos you've got, because everyone else has a different flavor of that chaos, okay? Um, but Cade, will, will, he'll come to me and he'll say, Dad, Kate, Connor said I'm dumb. And I, I always look at Cade and I go, well, are you dumb? He goes, I don't know. Like, he'll literally say, I don't know. I don't think so. And I'll look at him and go, you're not dumb, Cade. You're really smart. So who cares what Connor says? Thanks, Dad. And he just runs back in place. But there's a level of that that's, that's practical, but I also believe there's a level of that that's spiritual. I think there's spiritual weight to the words that, that, that we as men speak over our kids and over our families. And so I just encourage you with that statement tonight and that thought, go back and reread these instructions in Ephesians through this perspective of I'm supposed to look like Christ in this. I bear the image of God and therefore he gives me the authority to create things in my family that otherwise maybe weren't there until I chose to use the rhema word, which means the vocal audible word out of my mouth, which makes a lot of sense. When you, when you pay attention to culture and what has the enemy done with the fathers? He's tried to steal our voice. He's tried to make us seem like the lame, we're, we're disconnected from our kids. If we're in the home, we're, we're drinking beer and watching TV and not paying attention and we're probably working too much or we've left altogether. Like that's the narrative that has been fed and it makes a lot of sense because God said in the book of John alone, he referred to, Jesus referred to God as father over 100 times. In the book of John, just the book of John over 100 times. Father. When I, that, that dawned on me and I thought, why in the world would you do that? Because fathers kind of suck in our generation. Sorry that I probably shouldn't say that in Oklahoma. We could say that in California. I'm sorry. 
Fathers kind of stink in our generation. And I felt immediately the Lord say, well, it wasn't supposed to be that way. I was supposed to be able to point to a dad and say, that's how I am. And so the enemy realized, well, I don't actually have to ruin God, their, their image of God. I just have to ruin the image of their dad and they won't be able to see God. And so there's this thing just for men, and we're going to get into this more this weekend. I just felt like a moment right now to stop and, and highlight this um, of, just re- of really encouraging the men to realize your words over your family are really powerful. Um, there's, a spiritual, there's a level of spiritual anointing to your words. So be, be, we have to be very careful with what we say. Um, but we have to not hold our tongue. We, our kids and our wives need to hear us affirming them and speaking life into them and speaking truth over them. Um, so, um, actually, and I think with you, it's Chris, right? Or Sam, Sam, there's actually something there for your 21-year-old. Like, I actually think there's something that your words are gonna unlock for him. So pray into that and ask the Lord what that is. I think that there's something that what you're gonna speak to him um, and you're gonna, there's actually like, I, the, the way that I see it right now, like this visual, is you speak something and it immediately like plants the seed in the soil of his heart that begins to grow. And him hearing you say that is gonna actually give birth to something. So, um, okay. I have three minutes and 12 seconds to actually do the message tonight. Um, so we're gonna do this as quickly as we possibly can. Um, <laughs> this is, I mean, it's like I'm at Bethel, I'm not at Bethel. We have largely lost the faith to ever take the land because we've settled for protecting our own yard. We've largely, as a generation, lost the faith to take the land because we've settled for protecting our own yard. Like, and if we look around, y'all, we can see this everywhere. Like, we've almost, in the church, just become... And, I, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to cause me, the statement I'm going to make is going to, I'm going to have to give some more disclaimers to it, but I'm going to make it anyways. We've almost accepted pornography in the church, right? Like we've almost said, well, you can't really find some, and, and statistically it's true. 90% of our kids find it by the age of 18. Most of them find it between 8 and 11. A lot of our, I think the statistic is, of men look at it once a month. 33% of women are looking at it once a month. And so these statistics and these realities have kind of caused the church to say, well, we're not ever going to gain full victory in this, so we're just going to hope to minimize the damage as much as possible. Now, you got to hear me. Um, I think one of the reasons is because the church has shamed it so much that there's nobody that's walking out of freedom in it because they're terrified of the results. So this isn't a, hey, go grab your pitchfork statement. This is a, let's remove the shame so that we can all actually talk about what we really got going on anyways. But he said in 1 John, don't act like you don't have sin, you have it. <laughs> like, if, when you say you don't have it going on in your church, in your home, in your family, in your personal life, you're actually making me out to be a liar because I actually went to the cross because you had sin. Like, are you all aware of that? Like, the reason he left heaven, like, I don't even want to get out of my warm bed in the morning. He left heaven because he knew y'all were jacked up. 
Like he died on the cross, not so you had to be perfect because he knew there's no way on earth you would be. So we got to remove this shame piece from pornography so people will actually get free from it. It's not about how often you've looked at it, how many times. It's about why your brain needs this to cope. So we got to start asking the right questions here. But we have to be careful that we're not saying sin is okay. Sin's not okay. Sin's not a, one of the things we'll do with our kids if, when they're saying sorry and, and the other one goes, it's okay. No, 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 it's not okay. Don't say it's okay. I forgive you is different than it's okay. Those aren't the same thing, right? I can forgive you, but not, the action's still not okay. And so that's the thing with sin. Sin's a big deal. It's such a big deal. Jesus had to leave heaven and die on a cross to take care of it. The cross just happens to be a bigger deal. And so we can't lose sight of the ground and the land that God has called us to conquer simply because we've lost faith that all is lost. And man, you, everywhere you look, it seems like the church has really begun to lose faith. Almost like we've kind of just backed up and said, well, we can only hope that our yard is clean, but the, the neighborhood's lost. And we have to reject that lie. That lie has got to be rejected. We will not begin to see health and wholeness in our homes, our families, our churches, and our culture until we reject this lie that we're supposed to create holy huddles and just protect what we have. Man, you, 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 God never told us to protect what we had. Ever. You can't find a story or a scripture where his instruction to Joshua was, don't worry about Jericho, just protect the land that you're on. Hey, Moses, don't worry about going to the promised land. I got you just outside of Egypt. Let's just camp here. You literally cannot find a place in Scripture where he tells you to be content with just what you have. He gets into the New Testament, and he gives us the parable where he gives these workers coins. And then the farmer goes away, and he comes back, and he punishes the one that did what? Kept just what they had. He actually got punished for protecting just what he had. (laughs) The church is living in protecting just what we have. He actually called him an evil servant. We are not called to protect our yard. We are called to create new ground and to go after new territory, and to find new things, and to walk in faith, and to take risks that we feel so exposed in taking these risks. We are called to give so generously that it almost feels uncomfortable. And then we watch the way God responds to these moments. And before we get to 1 Samuel, there's... There's this really interesting contrast in scripture, and I'm just going to reference these and tell the stories. You can spend some time on them later. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19, 16 through 30. And I encourage you to spend some time reading that story and comparing it to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, 1 through 10. Because you have essentially the same exact man in these two stories. 
Zacchaeus was a rich young ruler. He represented the government. He was a tax collector. We don't know what the rich young ruler's role was or even his name, but we know that he served in a similar type of role to Zacchaeus because they both were working for the government which is why this rich young ruler would have been called the ruler. But what plays out in both of their stories is very, very, very different. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and lists off everything he'd done right. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. What else must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And if you actually look, Jesus doesn't even like rebut him. He says, well, yeah, you have done those things. Now sell everything you have and follow me. It says the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. Well, then you come over to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus just tries to do whatever he can to get to Jesus. We know this story. He climbs up in this tree. Jesus comes by, the, the nursery rhyme, the, you know, the Sunday school song. They go, they go and have dinner. And what does Zacchaeus do? Zacchaeus doesn't have a list of good deeds to list off. So he actually just lists off his failures. <laughs> like, man, there's a model for something. The rich young ruler is listing off everything he did right. Zacchaeus is listing off everything he did wrong. And then Zacchaeus decides in his own heart, I'm going to pay back everybody that I've wronged. And you know what Jesus never asked Zacchaeus? He never asked him to sell everything he had to follow him. Isn't that intriguing? You have very, very similar parallels, very, very different results. And a lot of times, and I think there's a level of the rich young ruler that this is about sacrifice and giving and giving to the Lord, but I actually see it more about faith. Are we truly willing, and, and this isn't just finance, I'm not talking finance, I'm talking, are we really willing to give at a level that takes a significant risk? Because for the rich young ruler to sell everything would have been a significant risk. I mean, he's instantly putting his livelihood in Jesus' hands. He's putting his comfort, he's putting his food, his clothes, his house. He's literally taking everything that he's worked for on his own, which we know means a lot to him because that's how he started the conversation, what he's worked for on his own. So he's taking everything he's worked for on his own and he'd have to give it to the Lord and say, okay, now I'm going to trust that I still have something to eat. I actually think the story's more about faith than it is selling everything. It's this question of, will you risk all so that you won't just protect what you have? Like, stop protecting the yard. It's not that green anyways. Like, the yard I create is not that great. And so this rich young ruler thinks he's got all this stuff he has to protect. He wasn't, it's like the, the, the monkey with the banana in the box. You've heard that illustration a bazillion times. He just refused to let go of the one banana to get the bushel. I think the Lord's looking at this man and saying, look, if you, if you just want to, if you just be willing to give me this, then I've got some more things for you down the road. But I've never called you to protect what you have now. I've called you to lay that on the altar day after day. Abraham, I've called you to put Isaac on the altar. Because I think our generation needs some Christians that have faith again. Like that have real faith. Like I'm talking faith to start things that need started in a community. Faith to pull people into my family that, that maybe shouldn't have to... That, I'm not obligated to pull into my family. Faith to start a ministry. Faith to start a business. You know what our communities need? 
no offense to us pastors, we don't need a whole bunch more pastors. We need godly business owners. We need people that are leading in the community with kingdom mindset, that are creating healthy businesses, and that are creating finances that are being sown into the kingdom as opposed to being sown into individuals. Like, we need people in the room right here that are willing to take a risk of faith and not protect the yards you've got so that you can get some land for him that he's called you to go after. So here's, I promise we're going to be done in like eight, 17 more minutes. Is that cool? What's that? Okay, thank you. Be careful how much freedom you give me, though. You want to just leave it right there for right now. So if we switch to Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, um, God actually put this on my heart, I don't know, about a week ago. And I'm actually going to read through most of this chapter. Sorry, students, I know the youth group is in here. Is the youth back there? Sorry, I'm going to like read through this whole chapter. Can you guys roll with me here for a minute? Awesome. Adults, can you roll with me for a whole chapter? Okay, sweet. Um, so this is 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're going to go all the way down to verse 23. So not even a whole chapter, a half a chapter. That's not even a half of this chapter. That's a long chapter. So it's like a third of the chapter, okay? If you guys can't track with me, it is not my fault. It's society's fault and your lack of attention span, okay? <clears throat> now, to, to set up some context here, you have the, the, the Israelite army that has been trapped against this mountain range behind them. And then you have the Philistine army that's in front of them. And what had just happened right before this moment is the Philistine army, not like moment before it, but in the, the days and the weeks leading up to it, the Philistines had went through and killed all the blacksmiths and literally taken all of their swords and taken all of their fighting weapons. So you got a bunch of guys with pitchforks and Tacoma trucks trying to like <laughs> win a battle. Um, and the other, t the other side's got like tanks and actual guns and stuff. And... Um, so you, you have this scenario where the, the, the Israelites are terrified. They don't have the right tools. They've got a mountain range that they can't get over behind them, and they've got a really angry army in front of them. <clears throat> now, a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass of Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. See, Saul had said nobody's allowed to do anything. Saul was leading out of fear. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among them whom was Agi, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Ahetubah. I mean, some of these Bible names just are awful. <laughs> son of Phinehas and the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One called Bozes and the other called Sinai. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south towards Geba. Now here's where we got to start paying attention. If you checked out, check back in. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act favorably on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Pay attention to the tone here, not even the words. The perhaps here is actually a pretty significant statement here that was translated into the English language to help us understand the attitude. 
Jonathan wasn't stepping into certainty. He was stepping into uncertainty, but willing to step. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Perhaps. Let's just, can we just like have a real moment of humanity? How many of us are waiting for God to confirm it with 300 fleeces from Sunday before we're ready to move? <laughs> Well, I just got to know. All right, if I'm going to share this word with them, I got to know that I got to know that I got to know that it's you. I think God's saying, why? Like, why do you got to know that you got to know that you got to know? Nobody ever got that type of certainty in the Bible. You're asking me to give you things I didn't give to anybody in Scripture. Are you that much more holy? That you should get more certainty than everybody that had to walk in faith? No, he's looking for a generation that will walk forward on a perhaps. Perhaps God will act favorably on our behalf. You know what the other side of the perhaps, the, the perhaps coin is? Perhaps I'll fall on my face and look dumb. That's why we don't move. And God's saying your successful business is on the other side of a perhaps. Like the victory is on the other side of a Perhaps. Your strong marriage is on the other side of a perhaps. The fulfillment is on the other side of, of a perhaps. The blessing that's going to come back to you where God says in giving, now, it's, now we are talking about finances, when God says you can test me on giving, guess what? It's on the other side of a perhaps of giving. Like it's on the other side of a, I'm not sure if this is going to work out, but let's go. Verse 7, do all that you have in mind, the young armor bearer said, go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Verse 8, Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. This is so good. Verse 9, if they say to us, wait here until we come to you, then we will stay where we are and we will not go up to them. Verse 10, but if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Like, so he, basically, he's like, we're fighting either way. Like Either we stay at the bottom of the cliff and we don't actually know if we're going to win, but we're still going to wait for the battle, or we're going to climb up and that'll be our sign that we're going to win. No matter what, let's go. Like, I just feel this holy anger, and Jonathan's saying, I'm really sick of my yard I've been protecting, and I'm ready for some new ground. I'm ready to have the, the faith for the forgotten, this forgotten mindset that God, we are God's people that he meant to restore humanity through. Right, like, like that's what we've forgotten. That's what we don't have the faith for. Do you as the church actually believe that humanity is gonna be restored through us? Like, think through that. Like, it, it, it's, and I thank you for saying yes and amen, and, but pause for a moment and just know you're, you're trained to say amen to that stuff and really evaluate, am I living as if I'm the answer for humanity's brokenness? Because he has put that inside of me. First John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. He's given us the reign of power to speak things into existence. He told us in 2 Chronicles that when my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, what will happen? Then I will heal their land. You guys, the healing of the land comes from our obedience. Sometimes I'm fearful that our generation is so scared of legalism that we forgot obedience. 
Like we can't be so terrified of religion and legalism that we're not walking in this obedient seeking of the presence of God. Like that's gotta be it. And so he's sitting here and he's like, well, we'll wait at the bottom. Maybe they'll come down. And if they do, we're still gonna fight that we just won't know if we're gonna win until we've won or lost. If they call us up, then we'll know the victory is ours. Oh, just, just gets you fired up, doesn't it? It's like, give me a cliff with 20 Philistines. <laughs> Verse 11, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, the Philistine said, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. They didn't even have a yard. <laughs> the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up and we will teach you a lesson. Like that moment, like I bet Jonathan's smiling the whole way up the cliff. Like, <laughs> So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with the armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Talk about taking some new ground. Then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp in the field and those in the outposts and the raiding parties, and the ground shook. It, it was panic that was sent by God. Do you notice throughout Scripture the trend? When did the panic from God come? In response to the perhaps. When did, Jesus, when did the Lord show up into the fiery furnace? when they got into the fiery furnace? When did God deliver Daniel of lions? When he got into the lion's den. And the face, she's like, I know, right? That means I have to like do some uncomfortable perhaps moments. Like, guess how, you, know, you wanna know how you make sure you're never saved by the Lord in a fiery furnace? By never stepping into one. What can be created from this community in this church in this area on a perhaps or hundreds of perhapses? My goodness, what does the Lord want to do? What ground does he want this church and these 12 churches to take? Amen. If you really take a moment and sense the Holy Spirit, it could probably overwhelm you a little bit at the anointing that's in this room and that's on this church. The thing that we have to understand, prophetic words and what the Lord has called us to do is a partnership, not a certainty. He promised the Israelites the promised land, but there were a number of acts of obedience along the way to fulfill that prophetic word. This is a partnership with the Lord to speak truth to restore humanity, to see redemption. This is a partnership. We know that the Lord operates through the free will of humans because he allowed Adam and Eve to choose to eat the apple. So since he allowed them to do something that would ultimately be damning, we know that he works through the partnership with his instruction and then our choice to respond to that instruction. So we have to come into total partnership and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to operate on a perhaps. I'm not going to protect my yard anymore. I'm ready to take some new ground. I'm going to climb a mountain that terrifies me to climb. I'm going to pick a, pick a fight that terrifies me to pick. 
I'm gonna give something away that terrifies me to give away. I don't have any more time in my schedule to, to give to that ministry that that's God's been pricking your heart about or that, that, that juvenile hall you're supposed to go visit or that prison ministry you're supposed to be building. I don't know what they all are, but I have a feeling that you know what the Lord is speaking to you right now. Verse 16, Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions, and Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who, see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who, who were not with them. Saul said to Agi, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was walk, talking to the priests, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased. The tumultuous, I can never say tumultuous, tumultuous. It's a tough word for me. Should have been more educated. Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. Get ready for this part. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Verse 21, those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and with Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. I believe that the Lord is, is speaking and developing a word in me that's a generational word that I'm, I'm stewarding right now and trying to understand the depth of. Um, <clears throat> we're in a really interesting time as a Christian church. Because you have people who are, we are dedicated to the word of God on all areas of sexuality, all areas of morality, all of those types of things. And then you have people that are just silent, that don't know where they're at and aren't willing to speak up. And then you actually have a lot of Christians that have jumped to the other side of a lot of conversations that need to be addressed, right? And I actually want to challenge us because... Knowing a little bit about what I know of the church, I know I have an idea of where of where you guys are at. That's similar. We know what the scripture says, and we're willing to speak it. But I also want to encourage us to walk that out with grace, because there's going to be a moment. I really believe this in my heart. There is going to be a moment when people wake up and realize, wait a sec, God did create us intentionally, man woman, husband and wife for marriage. God did intentionally create this and God, God did intentionally design us this way. And how irritating is it when your spouse says, I told you so? Right? And I think that when that moment happens, those that were silent are gonna join the fight again and those that had switched to the other side are gonna come back. And you know what? The Lord's gonna receive them with grace and compassion. We need to be ready to too. And so I believe that we, that number one, we have to pray into this. I think that there's something that, that is just stirring. Where I, like a lot of people feel like our culture is a lost cause. I don't know. I have, it's this weird certainty in me that it's not. There is going to be a restoration season in our lifetime. If not the rapture, but I believe there's going to be a restoration season in our lifetime. And those Jonathans who lived on a perhaps, who started the battle, are going to, those who went first are going to give freedom for others to go second and third and fourth and tenth. But if you notice, those who started it, who were already 
engaging and evoking, they did not stop and turn around and shame those who had been deceived. And so I think that we've got to be really cautious of that as Christians, because let's just be honest, we kind of have been known for that, right? Like, we've kind of been known for playing the shame card and the guilt card, the condemnation card, and so because of it, we've got secret porn issues and affair issues and alcohol issues and drug issues of people that aren't willing to share these things in our own churches, And there's going to be a point where our brothers and sisters return to sound biblical teaching. And when that happens, we need to be ready to to open our arms lovingly and say, um, the the Lord is returning our generation to his heart. So I'm going to close. Hey, look, I did kind of what I said. Maybe, can we have the worship team come up? I know I didn't tell you I was going to do that, but... Can we do that? Are they close? Worship team? Maybe? Just, can anybody, does anybody know how to play the keys? We'll take a rando. Anybody? Sweet. Just some some keys. Thank you. Sorry, guys. I should have prepped you, huh? That's my bad. That's not your fault. That's my fault. It's not you. It's me. Um, I think that there's an individual moment and a collective moment right now um, to respond to. And so I want to just take a moment and, and give you the ability to, to have a moment with the Lord. So I'm just going to ask them to pray, and I'm going to ask you to, or to play, ask you to pre- play. And just in, in the audience, let's just listen for a moment. Specifically, you're listening for a specific word from the Lord. I'm not even going to give you framework for what you're listening for. Just take a moment and listen for a word from the Lord. I want to spark some things real quick. And... Um, then we'll have a response. <clears throat> um, we just have to think different if we're actually going to do this. Like, if we're going to step out and really like, like live on perhapses, we have to think different. Because um, we think, we, we naturally, our brains actually naturally gravitate towards comfort. Like, we want to be in the comfortable place, the comfortable moment, the comfortable conversation, the comfortable relationship. We were in, my wife and I just got back from South Africa um, about a week ago, and we did two conferences down there for youth. And we were in this, this first church the first weekend, and we didn't address homosexuality at all in the, in the services, in any of the messages. We were just talking about God's design, removing shame, understanding identity. Three different students came up to me during the altar. I'm, I'm telling you, we didn't even like allude to homosexuality. Three different students came up to me during the altar and said, I've come out of the closet, I've been living a gay lifestyle, and actually tonight I feel like the Lord's telling me that I'm not supposed to live that way. Didn't even address it. And this kid, this one kid in particular is 16, and he says, so can you tell me, like, am I supposed to be gay? Is it okay? People say you can't change. Like, just so much confusion of what he believes because there's so many statements that have been made out there. And I instantly thought, man, if I tell him, no, yes, you can change. No, you're not supposed to be gay. He'll always have had the purity pastor at that purity night tell him that. And he'll, oh, the enemy will be able to use that. So I actually looked at him, and I took a big perhaps. <laughs> I'm like, I looked at him, I said, well, why don't you just take a moment? Can you just close your eyes? Do you, do you know how to hear the voice of the Lord? And he said, yeah. I go, close your eyes and ask him what he thinks of you. 
and he just, he, he takes a minute, and he opens his eyes, and he said, God just said I, he thinks that he, that he loves me and that, that I'm his and that I'm his son. And I said, awesome, because that's so true. Now that you know you're loved by him, I want you to ask him what he says about your sexuality. Again, it's not been mentioned or alluded to the whole weekend. So anything he's coming to is, is in his heart, right? It's the, the, the Lord speaking. So he takes a moment, he, he opens his, back, his eyes back up and again, he looks at me and he says, I'm not gay. It's like, I'm not, I'm not gay, I'm not supposed to be gay, like I can change. And we, we talked more and I gave him this book and, and it, it was such a powerful moment and that happened three other times that weekend. And it was one of those moments where I actually walked away from those encounters changed, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think I, I would have lip serviced, I believe that can happen. Moments like that where I had to like climb a, mount, climb a cliff that I didn't know if all of the rock was stable, w- w- it was really significant for me. And I don't think I would have been able to get there without taking that step. The mindset that we've got to begin to walk with is this assumption that we're supposed to be shaping culture. One of the things I love about Bethel is that's like everything we think of. Like Chris Valadin is my boss. He's the executive pastor of Bethel. This guy doesn't think like any human you've ever met on the planet. About three years ago, he gets this idea. This future of our culture is going to be run by the tech industry. And, 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 and it probably was longer than three years ago. I mean, he, he just realized, like, wait a sec, tech is r- ruling the world. He said, you know what we need to do? We need to start a tech school so that we're actually filling all of the job needs with kingdom-minded people. So he starts a ministry called, a school called Bethel Tech that has over 200 students a semester in it right now, that has an 84% placement rate into Google, Apple, Yahoo, all of these different things. So I think you all heard of all the fires that happened up in Northern California last year. Like our town lost 1,200 homes. We lost 1,200 homes. We lost an entire town called Paradise. The entire town is gone. So Chris decides, you know what we should do? We should start Bethel Forestry. Literally starts a ministry that partners with the city to go and remove all of the like kindling that would start a fire and cause a town to burn. It's this constant mindset of we are meant to occupy the streets. We're meant to occupy all areas, all land, all spheres of influence. We're meant to occupy it. So here's a crazy idea. Let's occupy it. Let's actually create, build, and walk into these places and begin to see what God does in response to our perhaps. Perhaps.